Hey guys, it's Brad. Welcome to Remote Software Genius. Okay, we're ready. We're, we're recording. Dr. Erty, thanks for, thanks for coming. Um, do you want to introduce yourself first? I, I'm going to link to your book and you have a Wikipedia page and all this stuff, but why don't you introduce yourself real quick? First of all, accept my apologies. I have a terrible Hungarian accent. However, I'm, I'm living in the U.S., now, slowly 20 years, uh, still this accent that you cannot lose, and probably I, uh, I don't want to, but hopefully you will understand me. So I grew up in, in Budapest, actually, in the Pest side, which is the flat part of, of, of Budapest, and the cultural, commercial, and scientific center of the city. And uh, I was trained as a theoretical chemist, and... With American mind, you cannot understand our uh, trajectories. Where did I work? What did I do? But at a certain point, I became interested in computational neuroscience and worked uh, in a research institute for physics of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. Uh, there are too much politics, so the network in Hungary, there are a network of, of research institutes. And actually, they don't belong now to the academy. Uh, everything is under a permanent reorganization. Uh, so still I have my office there. And but we came here uh, to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Here we have Kalamazoo College, as I had the chance to meet you. And you know, this is a small liberal art college. Yeah. And the college got a professorship uh, supported by the Harry Luce Foundation to do something between hard science and computer simulation and social science, cognitive science. Somehow I got the position, we came here originally for just several years, but uh, as you see, still I'm here. Uh, uh, and then I teach complex systems, cognitive science, and everything else that I should teach. Uh, you're, you're doing so great. I'm here. You're, you're here, you, you did it. So. You're currently on sabbatical at University of Michigan, right? Yes, uh, from the very uh, first moment as I came here. Actually, the first time I was in Michigan in 1989, that was I spent uh, a month with Michael Savajo, who was a, he's a famous mathematical biologist and I spent at University of Michigan. So I always uh, had some desire to return. Probably it was also, uh, it was related that I, 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 I was interested in getting a position in, uh, in Michigan. And now I am there. I teach a first year seminar ranking as a social game. And this is a first year seminar. So I'm a, I'm a dedicated teacher. So I decided not to take the whole class purely uh, virtual. Uh, I gave some in-person classes. And now, roughly speaking, in, in bi-weekly, I'm driving to... Uh, and Arbor and, and uh, to see occasionally some students. But what is interesting is when you are in person, then the students have mask. And when I see, when we have online class, then I see them much better yeah, than in yeah. person. But still in person teaching is different. Yeah. So I, I'm there, but I don't have the chance uh, to meet my colleagues. That is the reason that I, I asked you to, uh, to have a short meeting because at noon we have a weekly 
departmental uh, informal meeting, but I would like to attend. This is the only way to communicate with my teacher, with my, with my colleagues there. We'll, we'll be quick. So I, I know I've prepared some questions for you, but can we talk quickly on the timeline? Because I think the timeline's fascinating. So you came 1989 uh, to Kalamazoo. Well, actually, I, I came in two, January 2002, but I count it, it is almost, almost 20 years now. Got it. Okay. All right. That, that makes more sense. Now, I, I don't, I know, like we did work together maybe 2007, 2008. And from then till now, I feel like the tooling around, the, you know, machine learning neural networks has just gotten so much better. Like, I can't imagine how, how you've seen the, the software and, and hardware just explode since you started getting into this, right? It's got to be mind boggling to you, no? Uh, Brad, uh, uh, as, a, as a teacher, what I learned that if you want to learn something, the best way is to teach a class. Mm -hmm. So that is the reason that occasionally I'm teaching a machine learning class. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, I taught twice. First, that was a demonstration since the college uh, didn't give tenure for a guy who has machine learning because they felt 10 years ago, that is not an important uh, yeah. topic. Yeah. And the student asked me as a demonstration, I, 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 I taught uh, a machine learning class, what I repeated a few years later, which doesn't mean I'm, I'm an old folks, so I don't know where the new techniques and I'm not a computer wizard, but I learned some algorithms. And basically there were some students who had much better technical skills yeah. I have, you remember, you also had a better technical skill than I had, uh, but it's not shame. A teacher always can tell the students that, look, uh, these are these what I think, but I don't know. But I was able to understand, uh, roughly speaking, how the most important algorithms work. So obviously machine learning is very important. And one of my specific field is, is neural network, uh, is, 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 has its renaissance now. Uh, I don't believe that related what is called the deep neural networks and, and related areas. I don't believe that is a silver bullet or magic bullet which yeah. will solve all the problems. But you know, in the last couple of years, uh, Google and uh, and Facebook and all these big guys use use uh, deep deep neural network based uh, methods. But and so this is a huge development. Uh, but you know, this is happens with fissures, ups and downs. So slowly we are at, the, at, at, at I believe that close, we are close to be at the peak. Yeah. Uh, we have, we already seen uh, several times, just you should be sufficient old. I learned when was the early AI uh, in the mid, in the mid fifties. And that was a huge hope. And there was a big disaster. They promised to have machine translation. That time it, it would have been very important to translate Russian text to English. Mm -hmm. And it proved to be uh, terribly difficult. Also, they promised uh, that during 10 years there will be a chess uh, algorithm who would be able to uh, win against the uh, world champion. And actually, what is what it happened that the Deep blue one against Kasparov. That was not yeah. intelligent. That was just uh, number force, crunching. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very brute force. So that, and once uh, Kasparov saw that, he was so surprised 
that he felt that he, he doesn't play against a human, so he was shocked and lost a lot of time because it was so uh, counterproductive. So, uh, that, that, uh, still fun. we are here. Yeah, we're, we're here. It's fun too to think too, like, I, I just, I just want to thank you though for years ago, right, like giving us the opportunity and the guidance to, to do the work that we did in Budapest. And I know I, I, like, I still follow like Gabor, for example, on GitHub and every day he's so, like, he's so good, right? And like, just anyway, is it is an inspiration. So, so thanks. So let, let's talk about your book ranking. I, I know you're doing a seminar. I know you have a new book coming out, Repair. Um, so when I read Ranking, um, and you can, you can explain a little bit about it, but we have kind of a technical audience. To me, um, some of the problems most in, that were most interesting in Ranking when you talked about kind of like model, like Ranking, is, it can be a result of a model, right? Like for example, the US, you, you talk about um, a lot about university rankings, right? You can have a model that weights student to faculty ratio or funding or whatever with different weights. And then I, you talk about weights and biases and, and stuff. And I think about just modeling problems in general and biases in, biases in modeling. I think uh, an assumption that pe like maybe lay people have uh, is that modeling is this silver bullet and deep learning is this silver bullet. But I, when, I, when I'm doing my model, I think all the time about the bias that I, as the modeler, can bake into the model and kind of uh, maybe ruin its perceived objecti objectivity. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, there are too many questions. First, I would <laughs> like to address the question that we cannot deny. So how did it happen that ranking, rating, and more generally metrics became so important in our life? Yeah. So ranking begins with comparisons. We like to compare ourselves with others and determine who is stronger, richer, better, or cleverer. Actually, Brad, I remember that in the high school you, you won a competition, then you were the, uh, the best, uh, some kind of to closing, that the, more ele more, the, the most elegant student or something like. Do I remember well? A couple. I think I won best dressed or something. Best dressed, best dressed. Yeah, best dressed. Yeah, yeah still, I still I remember that. <laughs> oh, I was laughing that, uh, that you, you won a competition as the best dressed. <clears throat> so, slowly you will be not so young. And you, I don't know whether you had any high school class reunion so far, but at a certain point you will have. And so these are wonderful opportunities to, to compare our standing in any aspects of life from attractiveness to career progress, intelligence, marital success, against the standing of our former classmates. So we have this, our love of comparison, and this led for our passion for ranking. And generally ranking is becoming more organized, and we like the idea of being more organized. And there's also rating. Generally maybe a number assigned to an object or a subject being rated. Uh, independently of the score of others, rating, chess, rating of chess player using the earlier number that was a, a success. However, we know this algorithm also is not perfect. And so we have, we live, a, we have social ranking. We live in a society, and, but it is not restricted to human communities. It has an evolutionary root, and it's very well known that chickens uh, find their uh, place in the hierarchy 
and there was a Norwegian scientist, I mean, he, be, he was a small boy, about 10 years old, when he became interested uh, in observing chickens. He coined the term pecking order, which means that chickens accept their places in the ranking. And he gave a prior, prescribed the priority of access to resources, especially both, what are the most important resources, food and mates. And there is a huge step from chickens to humans, there is evolution, but still uh, it works. And so ranking, uh, we like generally objectivity. And the notion of objective reality refers to anything that exists independently uh, of our uh, conscious uh, awareness. And we have subjective reality, which is, depends our conscious uh, awareness or perception. So we like objectivity, but it's difficult to me. So of course, what is the tallest building? We don't know it, we never measured, but believe for, uh, for the information coming from secondary or ternary information. And this is objective, which is the tallest building, which is the second tallest building. Uh, who is most clever? Ever is difficult to tell who is cleverer, Brad or Peter. And uh, depends how to measure. Depends how to measure. You were a bright student, so, and every teacher would hope uh, that the students will be uh, better and cleverer than you are. This is the uh, mechanism for uh, evolution. So you mentioned the university ranking. Uh, I like to say that nobody likes, but everybody uses. So. Our modern obsession with university ranking is represented with the appearance, which was the US News and uh, Report, which was first published the ranking in 1983. Uh, so that was an emergence when the mass media uh, came to the uh, scene. And so it, what ranking does, ranking does two totally different things. It gives some, it reflects the past, but also a driving force for the future. And people like to say, we, are, we don't concern, but as I talk to any university or college administrators, everybody's interested in it. And try uh, to improve the school place. So we have, uh, in the World Higher Education Database, there are closely 20,000 higher education, higher education institutions. Uh, so basically, the half percent which can make uh, the top 100 cut. Mm -hmm. And I'm inclined to believe that is not true there is only one game in town. We, we, we might uh, to use different metrics. And uh, so competition is a positive driving force. It's not true that all the universities should go to the same starting line. Newer and smaller universities, mostly from emerging economies, they don't, it's just they don't have the massive financial and other resources. And but they also would attract students. And 
Of course, there are other categories as national universities or region, regional colleagues, liberal arts colleagues. So it's not true that we need only top 100 universities. Society needs middle and lower ranked universities and colleges. But it might be to that benefit to concentrate on helping students earn credentials and employment rather than spending too much just to get a better image and to play the ranking game. Uh, I might be uh, wrong. Uh, uh, a story real quick. So I, I met my wife on online, OkCupid, right? So oh. we, we met online and on these online platforms, you rank each other, right? You rank, you have, some people have one out of five stars, I think generally. Um, and the, the guys who created OkCupid are pretty good data scientists and wrote a book about their findings. And it, an interesting thing, I think it relates to college rankings is that the, the people who get the most messages aren't the people who just have a five-star ranking, right? Five-star rankings, people think like, oh, that person is too perfect or too beautiful. It's like Harvard, right? Like not everybody applies to Harvard because everybody's like, oh, I can't get into Harvard. But the, uh, the people who get the most messages are people who get, have a lot of five-star rankings, but also have a lot of one-star rankings. So what you, what you talk about when you say uh, your kind of advice to people is create your own, create your own ranking system, right? And I think maybe that's a corollary is that like in some people's <coughs> ranking system, these people rank very high, but when, when they're really taking their own kind of preferences into account, um, these subsets, these sub rankings, um, I think work better for people. So you talk about people like creating their own weights or let's wait. For me, I really liked Kalamazoo College. I really liked having it like I was in classes with you where we had four students or five students and that like kind of almost one on one time was super important. So weighting things differently was was important to me. And some some students might be like, no, I would never go to a school that small. That's super scary to me. So I see that uh, as being related. So anyway, I, I love it. I think it's fascinating. I, uh, Brad, uh, yeah, first of all, I was somewhat surprised uh, that you found, found your romantic partner online. As I mentioned, you were the best dressed student yeah, ever in the high yeah, school, yeah, yeah, yeah. but probably it doesn't mean immediately that you were able to find uh, in-person connections. And what I read recently that one in five relationship now begins online. Yeah. And nowadays online dating has become an acceptable, acceptable way to meet people. And I, I, when I wrote the book and was tried to, and I was, wrote a, chapter, a short chapter about recommendation systems. And of course, uh, basically, uh, these, these systems are also belong to this category. One of the most successful services I was that eHarmony advertises success stories by defining a bunch of typical categories. I nearly gave up, but still it helped me. Or singles with children, or long distance, or 50 plus, or multiple successes in family. And or international and more, and so they 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 had a number of success stories, and so the question is, so you are a computer scientist. I'm also very interested in algorithms. So question: Are matching algorithms? Uh, first of all, the question whether they are 
gender neutral. So some youngsters around me claim that popular social apps, for instance, the Tinder, has an algorithm that is male biased. I'm not sure. I, I'm not on the Tinder, and not actually I'm not in the uh, this business. But Tinder is an online dating app that matches couples based on, on one feature only: their physical attraction to one another. So you the picture of a person and decide whether or not you like to look her. If yes, your picture is offered to that person. And if you mutually like each other, then you two are found to be compatible and Tinder allows you to initiate conversation. And so I don't know, uh, but do you have any, any experience or feeling about Tinder? I've heard that there are some data which suggest that Tinder also has a ranking algorithm. Of course, these algorithms, algorithms are never open and never visible. That's just always just some hints. So they tend to disadvantage men. And the assumption is that the male bias is not justified. But still, I've heard it. So do you have any opinion? Could you teach me? Sure. That, I, Tinder came out after I was already married, but I've seen it before. <laughs> um, but I think the idea is, and they, the guys, I think Dataquism is the book, the OKCupid guys talk about this as well, is that I think socially, uh, we have this expectation that men send the messages. And I think in Tinder, when you have a match, like men, and maybe men swipe more. So if men swipe more, have more matches and send more messages, maybe that's the, that might create that male bias. I know there's a, there's a whole app and a whole group of apps that are trying to like fight that bias by not allowing men to send messages at all. So you match maybe the same way, but the women are the ones yeah. that are allowed to initiate. Um, but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's my only thought, but it, it is, it is kind of fun to, fun to think about. Uh, when you are in the search business, it's very uh, uh, well-known, and in mathematics, it's called the optimal uh, stopping problem. You can make two types of mistakes. If you choose among people and you, this, you bring a commitment too early or, uh, or, or too late. And uh, so... Uh, so first of all, when you are searching, at least you don't weep at the corner and you, you make some activity and try to involve your, uh, to manage your life. And so there is a question, uh, when, what is the highest chance finding Mrs. or Mr. Right? If you, so, but if you did and reject, but if you do sequentially, the mathematics tells uh, that the first you know the magic number, 37%. That the first 37% of your potential mates. The rule has a second part. Pick the next person who is better than anyone you ever dated earlier. But you can imagine, I, I'm, I'm not sure how to tell, how to sell this your prospective spouse. Look, it doesn't sound, I wrote in the book, it doesn't sound like an irresistible proposal. Honey, I've already used 37% of my chances, and you seem to be somewhat better than the horrible chicks I met previously. <laughs> so my med professor recommends that I marry you. Well, still uh, the pragmatic uh, me inside, the pragmatic mind inside me suggests uh, uh, 
that marry Mr. Uh, or Mrs. Good Enough. And when you are in a certain uh, age, uh, this is my suggestion. I'm somewhat, uh, I'm, uh, I'm somewhat, there are some close family member who is in this business, so I, uh, I suggest also her. Uh, I, I think that I think that bears out because people change over time too, and I think that also that strategy worked for me as well. I think you need you need to date somebody first to like get a baseline. So I think you have to you have to kind of get through a couple, but not too many. So anyway, my wife also proposed to me, so I I didn't get the ultimate choice. I mean, I, I did. I said yes, but um, it, it was pretty funny. Anyway, um, so. I got a fun one for you. So you talk a lot about, or briefly maybe, about pay, pay drink um, in your book. And there's also is maybe a little bit of a current event. All these um, web platforms are going in front of Congress. Um, and you, you suggest that the future generations, I think you suggest Generation Z, which is not me, uh, decide who gets the last say in kind of ranking algorithms or maybe models more generally, uh, humans or computers. And I think that maybe the resolution of that decision might come sooner than you had expected. So my question for you is like, what advice do you have for the decision makers uh, on, the, on this topic? And that, that's like, whether we're ranking news feeds or Google searches or, or, or whatever. Um, uh, so first of all, uh, with one word, I believe we need more and not less computer science. Co algorithms were blamed and attacked. Uh, uh, there was some social injustice and inequality uh, has been amplified by using algorithms, but algorithms are innocent. Algorithms are based on human assumptions. So, uh, for instance, there were debates about the credit score algorithms. Of course, uh, there is some formal law that everybody should be evaluated only by her own features and cannot be, others cannot be involved. However, if your zip code is involved, it might happen that say in this neighborhood, maybe there are more people uh, who had lower credit score or didn't pay well uh, their credits. So you will be penalized uh, by the fact that you live in a certain zip code. Mm -hmm. But this is not the, this not means that the algorithms should be blamed. And now there are questions about the so-called emergence of moral algorithms or fair algorithms. And generally what I, I feel that uh, and of course, there was also a book about the tyranny of metrics. But it doesn't, but metrics is still, of course, metrics can be gamed. But we are humans and we hope, and we should hope uh, that democracy will be preserved and, and, uh, and the missteps will be uh, controlled. And so altogether, I believe we need uh, more computer science, but we need uh, uh, social science, I, I would say social science based uh, computer science. We have now an emerging field 
called computational social science. So society is uh, too serious uh, to leave it for social sciences or even, or even worse for politicians. We need some unification of, of expertise of, 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 of computer scientists. I use this term computer scientists in a general sense, so including myself who is not a computer and computational scientist and social scientist. And as we had this question, who had the first step? Uh, who, had the f uh, who was the first uh, chicken versus the egg? We have now the same question, who has the last word? And the computer and, and uh, or the humans. Uh, we have human curators, but of course, if somebody gets the point, he will nominate himself as the main and uh, curator. I grew up behind the uh, iron curtain, I, I, iron curtain, so I, I might be biased. But society is changing so rapidly, we never believe that it might happen, uh, such kind of things uh, that we see each day. I came to this country to live in democracy, and I don't know. Uh, of course, we, we are all... On that point, so I, I think this is good. I think the two things I heard that were very helpful, I think, is more algorithms, but I think also more understanding of algorithms. I think people think algorithms and computers are just magic, and they don't understand um, some of the nuance that, like, algorithms are written by humans, and, you know, there's these, all these, like, feed-forward mechanisms. Uh, so I think that's, that's very good. Okay, understanding of algorithms, broader understanding of computer science. And the other thing I think is important, so I, I watched this week the, um, the Social Dilemma, this Netflix documentary about all these, all these people who used to work at um, like Facebook and Google talking about basically machine learning and uh, its effects on people. And one of the quotes is just hilarious from these guys. They're like, I don't care how smart of an engineer you are, like you can, you can hack the mind, you can hack the mind even if you're not an engineer. And they like refused to mention the word psychology, right? All they were using was psychology. And I, I think there are so many other fields that maybe don't have the, the, the visibility or computational power that the engineers have that I think we need to get together and, uh, and have more input from like the real, like, there's good science going on in, in social science as well. So I think that kind of interdisciplinary message is good along with, hey, uh, the more we know and the more we understand that we're trying, like we have algorithms that are, are trying to influence us or, um, I, I listen to Nate Silver on politics, right? 539 is his blog and he talks about the way he makes his model for election predictions. And there's a lot of assumptions in there. And like, there's always a lot of assumptions and there's always a lot of ability for people to editorialize models. And I think the more, the better the broad populace understands that the, the, the more nuanced society, the more nuance can come back into society and hopefully the more civil uh, kind of discussions we can have. Um, anyway, I, I ranted, but I, I, have, I have one more question for you. So Repair, your next book is called Repair. We talk, and you just talked about ranking and basically let's have more algorithms. And I, and I think that's, I'm, I totally agree with that, but can you like give us a preview of your new book? And because to me, Repair is kind of, think about cars, cars can be made in an assembly line, created very quickly, right? Repairing a car 
requires kind of one-on-one -on -one diagnosis and is a very kind of slow, maybe not algorithmic type uh, problem. But maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Tell, tell us a story. Give us a preview of your, of your new book. Yeah. First of all, I'm still negotiating, but I know the negotiation looks uh, good. So the, the book is about repair to, to be written together with the Hungarian social psychologist Zsuzsa Svetelsky. And the subtitle is When and How to Improve Broken Objects, Ourselves and Our Society. <clears throat> and basically, uh, uh, originally the book came out that I, uh, I had a very deep friendship with somehow uh, suddenly broke and I was seeing, and I saw a couple of broken friendship. And then I also realized that we live in a somewhat broken uh, world. So the repair propagates a new way of thinking about managing our resources. And I use this resource in a very general sense. So resources, I mean, not only things and gadgets uh, as my iPhone here uh, or, 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 or the computer that I uh, use now, but also or cars, also human resources, family members, friends, former students, small and large communities to which we belong. And so there is one question that we often should decide, to repair something or to replace. So to save energy and let them go. And we, uh, so there are two goals, an integrative framework for repairing and also uh, to apply it. So what we see here, uh, so we lived in this throwaway society. This throwaway society uh, in this country started in the mid-1950s. Everybody believed more is better and growth, growth, growth and development. And nobody was thinking about the secondary effects as pollution and environment and climate. Just more, 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 bye, 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 bye. And now slowly we see, actually, even 50 years ago, uh, a, a book, I don't know whether you know, or if not, then you had a bad teacher, the, uh, the Limits to Growth. That was, the, uh, uh, that was an MIT book to Jay Forrester who used uh, simulation. They, told that they had five limits to growth, you should take a look. And there were five variables from population uh, to pollution and industry production, and that the, that, that the growth cannot be sustained, that something should be done. And, and so now we see that, uh, that the throwaway society doesn't work. Uh, we see many things. Of course, we know that it's well known that half of our foods is, goes to waste, while each six or seven people, even in this country, has food insecurity. Then we have uh, this fast fashion. Uh, I looked into my own wardrobe. I'm not that well that I don't use more than the 20% of my clothes. And of course, they goes to the, to the landfill. And so, so our, we totally mismanage our resources, but I use resources in a general sense. Of course, we started to learn about circular economy, and, and uh, so when, when to repair, when to replace. And of course, 
when you repair, you cannot go back to the old things. So we should, there is a transition towards some new normal. Now everybody uh, believes now during the age of this pandemic, the world will not be the same as it was. Even if we make some repair, uh, it should be some uh, new normal. So I will try uh, to discuss what was the reason uh, why do things go wrong. It is the nature of, 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 of humans and society. Natural processes are irreversible. Soup cools down because the heat slowly dissipates into the environment. Uh, milk turns sour. And there are many natural and social disasters. Uh, and uh, what we see that positive feedbacks is a mechanism which amplifies small, devi small deviations and it leads to uh, phenomena of, which are very distant in terms of their part as earthquakes or stock market crashes or epileptic seizures. That is when there is just up, 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 just uh, mutual excitement without having some inhibitory uh, effects. And so generally, but I see that too much growth is just too much and we should do something. And I don't, I'm just, I'm just uh, uh, rewriting the proposal and it will go to peer review soon. So uh, still I'm, 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 we are just working on it. But somehow we have a pathway toward the new normal and and also there is a new, uh, an old slogan, very old one coming from the Jewish tradition, repair the world. And so our goal is to leave the world. So what is our goal here? Probably to leave the world here in a somewhat better shape than it was when we were born. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so, Basically, we should repair our broken self-relations, communities. And so I believe that recently that this, you know this slogan, okay, boomer. Uh, and we are, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm an old boomer. So we are bl blamed. So I'm very disappointed. We were the generation of 68 and we hope that we will generate a better world, but we not necessarily did. However, I, uh, I'm ready to agree with, 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 with Steve Pinker, who, who believes that this is still the best time of the world that we ever had. And, but obviously we have, we, we will leave you social inequality and injustice and not climate uh, change, but climate crisis. So we might be blamed so you and 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 uh, there will be a lot of tasks. I'm a baby now too, so me. Him yes, I wanted to tell that your baby, and and and, and just a couple of decades, and you will be a, a, uh, you will have uh, grandkids. So probably this will be uh, their problems. Yeah. And uh, we should do what we could do. Yeah, it it sounds like a great book. I'm uh, I'm excited to read it. And it I think, it, I mean, ranking was also a, a, a great read. I think the, the kind of interdisciplinary nature of of your study. I think the kind of promotion of promotion of math, but not just math and computer science by itself, 
um, fitting fitting those sometimes insular um, fields into uh, social science or yeah. university ranks or whatever. It's 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 fascinating. It's a great read. Um, I'm gonna link. It's like Oxford University yeah. Press, Amazon. I'll I'll make sure I link to it. Uh, but I also would like to add that. So in addition to the to the English publishing, first of all, it's already. Uh, Already in the already can find the German uh, edition in the Amazon, and what is interesting, and of course it will be a Hungarian uh, translation. But what is interesting that the book looks to as a good market for the Asian markets. So uh, there are two Chinese translations: Chinese with simple characters and Chinese with complex characters. Mm -hmm. With the second one in Taiwan, so. Uh, the main China will be excluded, and also it goes to why the why the simple character is published by the Shanghai Educational Publishing House, and also uh, the Korean and Japanese translation is uh, is is on. So somehow uh, it seems to me that the ranking be, it it should be a popular concept. Yeah. In Asia, we know, of course, that China now there is a transition toward this social ranking yeah. uh, things. Uh, so, thank you for your kind words. And yeah, it, it was it was a fun conversation. I, I hope to to do it again after uh, after repair comes out, um, and, and maybe you know meet in person here uh, in in the next year. So, um, hopefully, gonna... there will be more traveling. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Or, or maybe in Budapest. It's been a while. I was out, actually out in Ukraine when when the coronavirus hit. So I'm I'm in that you neighborhood. Were, you were in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, for a Ukrainian company now, Doctor. Yes, anyway. yes, yes. I understand. All right. Uh, I'm actually, stop recording, and we're going to talk soon. We're going to talk offline. Yeah, right? but uh, one more sentence. Yeah. I had a student here from Ukraine. Okay. Was it two or three years ago? Mm -hmm. And he is a very good. Uh, physicist turned computer scientist. He might, uh, I might connect yeah. you with him. Please do. Uh, uh, you might, you might, he might be a very useful contact. He's a very bright guy, and 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 friendly, and and he will, and has spent has spent a term here in Kalamazoo. Perfect. So uh, you're, you're very good at connecting smart people. So Gabor yeah, Laszlo, so, if you guys yeah, want to I, talk to Thomas Kiss. I will hello, do. Hello. I will do soon before I forget. That's it for today. We'll see you guys next week. Feel free to send us a voice message, an email, or a LinkedIn message. You can see all the links in the show notes. Have a great week.